Okay, we're going to open up this morning to Daniel chapter 9. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've, we've kind of pulled out of our chapter and verse study through Isaiah to kind of focus in on some teachings about prophecy, because really that's what we were looking at uh, in Isaiah chapter 10, was the tribulation period. And so um, in order to talk about the tribulation period, we have to give some background information. We have to kind of lay somewhat of a foundation uh, of, of what that is. What is the tribulation period? And uh, really, uh, what, what, what does God say is coming upon the earth? And so we're taking a few weeks here. This will be the third message, um, uh, looking at basically uh, end times prophecy, specifically Uh, the prophecies and promises of God that God made to the nation of Israel, his unconditional covenant with the literal physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the church, not the church, but the nation of Israel. God still has promises and covenants to fulfill for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is the third message of a series entitled The Promises and Covenants of God. This week we are going to look at a fascinating prophecy. It's going to be toward the end of the message here, uh, but we're going to look at this fascinating prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel. Really one of the most incredible prophecies in the whole Bible if you, if you, if you understand uh, what God said was going to happen and then how it happened uh, exactly, and then there's, there's more that's still to come uh, that, that has not yet been fulfilled out of this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. So this is the 70th week of Daniel, and Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, I'm going to read 20 through 27. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20 says this, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined, and that word translated weeks could be just uh, translated sevens, literally. Seventy sevens have been determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 weeks or 62 sevens. So 69 weeks or 69 sevens. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. 
Then after the 62 weeks, or 62 sevens, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, or one seven. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. This is an incredible, incredible prophecy. If you've never heard this prophecy of Daniel's 70th week broken down, you're going to be, your mind is going to be blown. It's, it's one of the most incredible prophecies because it literally predicts the exact day that Jesus Christ rode in on a donkey to present himself as the Messiah to the nation of Israel, as we'll see here uh, shortly. Now, last week we looked at some of the unconditional covenantal promises that God made with the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I encourage you to listen to the last couple of messages if you were not here, because we're kind of building each week here upon what we learned the week prior. So uh, last week we were looking at the unconditional covenants that God made and promises that God made to Israel, to the physical, literal descendants, the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Leviticus chapter 26, we were just in Leviticus chapter 27, praying for the offering, but in Leviticus chapter 26, let me read this to you in verse 40. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40 says this, speaking of the promises of God to the children of Israel, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham I will remember." I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and to break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord." The Lord doesn't break his promises. He's, he has promises that he has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not speaking of the promises to the church. We've been grafted in. We saw last week in Romans chapter 11. 
into the fatness of the root of Israel, the Gentiles. We've been grafted in as wild olive branches, but they are the natural branches and they are the natural tree uh, that God had planted to reveal himself to the world. So God still has promises. He says, I- I'm, I'm going to remember my covenant that I made with them. And he's specifying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's also saying, literally, to the people that I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. And so this is not speaking to the church. We cannot allegorize these prophecies or spiritualize and make them a metaphor and say God's not talking literally about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, He's talking about the church. No, he's not talking about the church. The church was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. It was a mystery that was revealed only in the New Testament. And, And so God still has his covenantal promises that he must fulfill to the physical descendants of Jacob, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God, being God, keeps his word. He cannot lie. He cannot break his promise. Now, in Jeremiah 31, we looked at this last week, but I'll read it again for context. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so the Jews, uh, they broke the covenant that they had made with God, as we looked at last week. They said they were going to keep the whole law when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, the Sinaitic covenant, and he came down with the Ten Commandments. And the people of Israel said, we'll do everything that God says. They made a promise. They made a vow to God to keep his law. And then they broke it, of course. The next thing you know, they're worshiping an idol, dancing around nakedly around this golden calf. So uh, they couldn't even keep the, the law for 40 days, and they were already breaking the first two of the Ten Commandments. And and that was a pattern uh, because man can't keep God's law. Only, only a perfect man could keep God's law, and there's no such thing as a perfect man. That's why Jesus had to come, the perfect man, the God-man, to keep the law of God perfectly and then to die as a substitutionary atonement or sacrifice uh, on the cross of Calvary, taking the sins of the world upon himself, dying in our place. Only Jesus kept the law perfectly. Everyone else fails. And so the Jews uh, failed to keep the covenant, to keep the law of God. But God says, I'm going to make a new covenant in the future. I'm going to make a new covenant with the fathers. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel after those days. And this is the new covenant. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 35 of Jeremiah 31 continues, saying this, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel, the physical, literal seed of Israel, Israel is another name for Jacob. I'll read this again. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Forever. 
Not up until a certain time, not a conditional sort of a thing. This is unconditional. God is saying, as long as you have the sun in the sky by day, you have the moon and the stars and the light by night, as long as you see the sun and the moon and the stars, I am going to keep my promise that I have made to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their seed, forever. Forever. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath I will then also cast off all the seed or the physical, literal, biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the seed from their bodies, their physical descendants, for all that they have done, says the Lord. The heavens can't be measured. The foundations of the earth cannot be searched out beneath. And therefore, the covenant of God to the nation of Israel remains. It stands. The church has not replaced Israel. Israel. God has a plan for the Jews to save the Jews. In Psalm chapter 94 and verse 14, I'll read this to you. Psalm 94 14 says this, for the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. So the Lord is saying, I'm not going to cast off my people. I'm not going to forsake my inheritance. Speaking of the Jews, speaking of Israel, God does not lie. He does not break his promises. Now in the New Testament, again, we looked at this last week, but just uh, in case you weren't here or just to remind you, in the, New, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Paul the Apostle says this concerning this subject about the national salvation of Israel. He says this, Romans 11, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, and God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. These are the Jews. God still has a plan to save the physical descendants, the Israelites, the seed of Abraham. We read in verse 25, skipping to verse 25 of Romans 11. Paul says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Verse 26, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. This is the New Testament. This is Paul the Apostle who wrote half of our New Testament telling us God is not done with the Jews. He's not done with the nation of Israel. He still has a plan, although they're blinded nationally now to who Christ is. Individual Jews, by the way, make up the church too. Jews and Gentiles make up the church. Uh, but God has a plan for national Israel, the political, religious nation of Israel. God has a plan to save them at the end of this age or the end of this epoch or era uh, that we're living in, this dispensation 
uh, that we have been looking at the last couple of weeks. God's going to save them. He made promises to Abraham. He made covenants in uh, Genesis chapter 12. We looked at that, the promise of the land, an eternal promise. You're going to have this land, you and your descendants, your seed forever. This land is yours, God said. It's mine. I'm giving it to you. Uh, he gave him the land. He gave him the promise. He gave him the blessing. He gave him the, the covenant of the Messiah that was going to come through his loins and through his physical seed. So we have the Abrahamic covenant that God is going to give them the land and he's going to save the nation of Israel uh, at the end uh, uh, of this age. All of Israel will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six tells us, not speaking about the church. He's talking about the Jews. All of Israel will be saved. Now, there was also a covenantal promise that God made to David related to a king that would come from his loins that would not cease to sit upon the throne of Judah. The Davidic covenant. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 7, I'll read this to you, says this. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 7. Now, therefore... Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, or one of your descendants after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Verse 14 says, I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. How many times does God say forever here in this promise? At least three times that I count. He's, he's saying this is going to be forever, David. I'm going to build you a house, one of your seed, one of your offspring that comes forth from your family, from your loins, is going to have a forever throne, a forever kingdom that will never come to an end. And so we know that this is a prophecy, of course, of Jesus Christ, the God-man who came who was of the family and the seed of the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the family of, uh, of King David, both through his mother Mary and his stepfather Joseph, as you are aware. And so this is a forever covenant that God cannot break. He says he's going to have a king that's going to reign over Israel and Jerusalem uh, forever. Now in Psalm chapter 89 and verse 3, because these are not obscure one-off prophecies. These are throughout the whole Bible prophecies, Old and New Testament actually. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 3 says this, speaking of this covenant with David. He says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So this is a forever 
covenant, a forever king that's going to come from Israel and from David. And of course, we know that this is Jesus. Jesus is uh, the one who is going to reign on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. In Isaiah chapter 9, we were here just a few weeks ago. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, speaking of this covenant, of this one who's going to come of the seed of David. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. These are promises to the Jews that we have been blessed as Gentiles to be grafted into these promises, but we haven't replaced the Jews. We've not taken their place. God still has a plan to save Israel. Now, the question came up last week. I had several of you ask me, so does this mean that Jews can be saved who do not uh, believe on Jesus, that somehow the Jews are going to be resurrected and they're going to have a separate, uh, you know, pathway to salvation. No, of course not. Of course not. When God is saying he's going to save the Jews, he's going to save all the Jews that are alive on planet Earth in Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation, those who are alive in Jerusalem, those who are being persecuted by the Antichrist at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, this is Israel. This, these are the Jews that God is going to save at that time. Today, Jews get saved in the same way Gentiles get saved, through believing on Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So the Jews don't have a separate way to salvation uh, unless they want to wait until the tribulation period and live through the Antichrist persecution and all of hell breaking loose upon the earth as God pours out his wrath upon this world as we're getting closer to that time, I believe, every day, the time of the tribulation period, and then survive the Antichrist, go off into Petra in the wilderness for three and a half years with the Antichrist armies trying to chase down the last of the Jews and wipe them off the planet and then wait until Jesus comes back. If they, if they want to go through that path of salvation... Maybe, you know, they could, they could take that chance. But today, Jews need to believe on Jesus, just like Gentiles need to believe on Jesus for salvation. As a matter of fact, there were many wicked people who were of the nation of Israel. Look at King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and all of the wicked false prophets that lied to the people in the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so forth. Uh, the false shepherds, the lying shepherds and so forth. Uh, look at the priests who betrayed Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and had him arrested and, and falsely accused him and so forth. Uh, Judas Iscariot, of course, was a Jew and, and, and he, the devil filled him and then he killed himself. I don't think Judas is going to be in heaven uh, just because he's a Jew. So there are many, many people uh, that are Jewish who are not saved even in the Bible. It doesn't mean just because they're Jewish, they're saved. But God has a promise that he's going to fulfill to the nation of Israel. So we just have to understand that it's not a separate way for salvation. Jews need to be saved, just like Gentiles, by believing on Jesus Christ, 
who is Yeshua, who is the Mashiach, he is the Messiah of Israel. And so there's no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. So just to be clear, I'm not saying that there's another salvation or a separate salvation for Israel, unless they want to wait till the end of the tribulation period. But I wouldn't recommend, if you're Jewish, that you wait till the end of the tribulation period. You may not make it. So I would just believe on Jesus now, and you would save yourself from having to go through that period of judgment that's coming upon the earth. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, God says this. I'm just trying to lay a foundation of some of these covenantal promises that God made to the Jews that he will fulfill. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Again, all of this is prophetically speaking of Jesus Christ. The Lord our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We're robed in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say... As the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And we will look at that more next week at the Ezekiel prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37, another incredible prophecy prophecy written 2,500 years ago about the resurrection of the nation of Israel in their land in the last days. God has promises. God keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He's going to fulfill the promises that he's made to the nation of Israel. So back to Daniel chapter 9 where we started. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, this is the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So Daniel, this old prophet of God, who was in Babylon. Babylon had now been conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, and now he was serving, first he was serving the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, as a counselor and advisor, a uh, prefect. And now he was serving Darius, who was the king who conquered the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian king. And Daniel, uh, the, the uh, angel is telling Daniel, uh, I'm coming to tell you this. You've been praying. You've been fasting. You've been concerned uh, about your people Israel. I'm coming to give you understanding of these prophecies. Now, we read in the first part of the chapter, in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherharis of the lineage of the Medes, the Medo-Persian Empire that conquered the Babylonians, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Verse 3, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so Daniel was studying the prophecies of his contemporary Jeremiah. Remember that Jeremiah was there in the land when the Babylonians came. He was warning the children of Israel, warning the children of Judah to repent and to cast off their idols. Uh, And they didn't listen to Jeremiah. The king wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. The priests wouldn't listen to Jeremiah. They uh, basically mocked him. They uh, beat him. They threw him in a dungeon. They threw him into the public latrine. They did not listen to Jeremiah's message. And yet God told Jeremiah exactly what was coming. And Jeremiah wrote down what was coming. And then it all happened to the nation of Judah as God had predicted that it would through the prophet Jeremiah. But there was also a promise and a prophecy given that although Judah would fall to the Babylonians, and they would be carried away captive for 70 years, they would come back to their land. And so Daniel now was taken away as a young boy. Uh, He was of the family of the uh, the royal family of Judah, Daniel was. Uh, He was part of the, the, the court, the inner court of the Judaic kings in Judah around 605, 606 BC. He was taken with the first wave of captivity when Nebuchadnezzar came and took a whole bunch of captives, uh, many members of the royal family in the inner court, into Babylon, uh, kind of as a warning, like a shot across the bow, that they needed to pay taxes to Nebuchadnezzar and basically submit to Nebuchadnezzar's rule over them or that he would destroy them, which in the end he did destroy them and carried the whole nation away captive. But Daniel went in around 606, 605, 606 B.C., taking captive into uh, Babylon. Daniel was there his whole life, ministering, as you know. And this is now the end of Daniel's life. Now it's been almost 70 years since Daniel was carried away captive. He's studying the prophecies, the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. Ezekiel was in Babylon prophesying. Jeremiah was in Judah prophesying at this time. Daniel was also in Babylon. And Daniel uh, was reading the prophecies of God through the prophet Jeremiah. And Daniel began to realize, wow, it's been 70 years or almost 70 years. We're getting close And God said that after 70 years, we're going to come back into the promised land. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 25. There are two prophecies in Jeremiah where Jeremiah specifically states that they're going to be taken captive for 70 years. And then they're going to come back to the promised land. Jeremiah 25 verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words... Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, 
the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now this was written in advance. Uh, Jeremiah was, was long gone off the scene when Daniel is reading his prophecies from Babylon in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel would have been an old man, probably in his 80s, maybe his early 90s. Uh, Jeremiah was long gone. He was, he was dead and gone at this point. Uh, and yet Jeremiah had predicted, had prophesied exactly how long they would be taken captive. The Jews would be taken captive into the captivity of Babylon. He says 70 years. He's writing this before it happened. Verse 12 says, Then it shall come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So Daniel was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. He realized there's 70 years that have passed, or we're getting close to 70 years. He starts praying and fasting in sackcloth and ashes, saying, God, when are you going to send our people back to our land, to the promised land from Babylon? There's a second prophecy in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. After God was telling the Jews, go, uh, go to Babylon. I'm, I'm, I'm sending you to Babylon. Build, house, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit. In other words, you're going to be in Babylon for a long time, 70 years. Uh, pray for peace on the city where I'm caused you to be carried away. Verse 7 of uh, Jeremiah 29. And pray to the Lord, for in its peace you will have peace. But then he says he's going to bring you back to your land. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place, Jerusalem, Judah. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So two times God shows Jeremiah, and Jeremiah writes this before it happens. You're going to be taken captive to Babylon for 70 years, and then God is going to bring you back to your land. And that's exactly what Daniel was reading. And he was saying, wow, we're getting close. It's been 70 years. Is, is it time for us to go back to the land? So he's praying and fasting. And then the angel Gabriel comes to answer his prayer, to show him the future, to tell him what is coming for his people Israel, for Judah, and for his holy city, Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that God sent them, Judah, into Babylon for 70 years because there was a period of 490 years, we're told in 2 Chronicles, I think it's in chapter 36, toward the end of the Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36 or 37, uh, where God says that you were in my land for 490 years and you didn't give my land a Sabbath's day rest. So the Jews were ordered, according to the Mosaic law, to work six years, just like you work six days and rest on the seventh day for the Sabbath. They were to work the land 
the agrarian culture, the farmers, work the land for six years and give the land a sabbatical rest on the seventh year. As a matter of fact, farmers used to do that uh, for, for many hundreds of years uh, throughout Europe and throughout even America. They would, they would uh, let their land go fallow after six years because it was the pattern that God gave to the Jews in the Bible so the land could replenish its nutrients and everything else. Now we're just greedy and we just plow and, you know, we just keep growing you know, three crops a year or whatever. But back then, God said, give the land a rest. Give it a rest. Work the land for six years. The seventh year, you, you let the land go fallow. And he says, and trust me that I'm going to provide for you for that seventh year. I'm going to give you a bumper crop in year six to where you'll have plenty of food for year seven. And then you replant again and you start over again. So Israel for 490 years, according to 2 Chronicles, did not give the land its Sabbath day rest. That's why God judged them and took them out of the land, was to give the land its Sabbaths, 70 years of rest, 490 years. They sh the land should have been gi given its Sabbath for 70 of those 490 years, and they did not. They were greedy, and they were not obedient. And so God took them out of the land, because he loves his land and he wanted to give the land its Sabbath rest. It's 70 years of rest. And, and so it was fallow. So this 70-year period is, is just about over. The land has been uh, uh, basically uh, abandoned. They've been taken away captive. And now God is, is going to show Daniel his plan to bring the Jews back into their promised land and more so and, and more than this. But, but basically that's what Daniel was praying about. When do we come back uh, into the land? It's been almost 70 years. So again, he says, Daniel, I've come forth to give you understanding at the beginning of your supplications. Verse 23 of Daniel 9, I have come to tell you for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the, man, uh, the matter and understand the vision. Now here comes the prophecy. Here comes the vision that God gives to Daniel at this point in time. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Note that. For your people. This is not the church. Church didn't exist yet. For your people, Daniel. Who's Daniel's people? The Jews, Judah, Israel. For your people and your holy city. What is your holy city? Jerusalem, the holy city. So this prophecy pertains specifically to Judah and to Jerusalem. He says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. This is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. What's going to happen to Jerusalem and Judah during the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, when Messiah comes and rules and reigns over his people Israel from Jerusalem, this is what it's going to be like. There's going to be a, a finish of transgression. There's going to be an end of sins. There's going to be reconciliation for iniquity or atonement for the sins of the nation of Judah. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He'll be, he will be there. Our everlasting righteousness will be there ruling and reigning at this time over Jerusalem and over Judah and over the whole world. To seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, when this happens, prophecy is all fulfilled. And when this time happens, vision and prophecy are done. It's completed. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most 
holy or to anoint the most holy place. This is a future prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled to the Jews or to Jerusalem. Okay, so understand this. There's still prophecies here to be fulfilled. This has not happened yet for the Jews, for the nation of Israel, the finish of transgression, end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity, everlasting righteousness, the completion of prophecy, and the anointing of the most holy place. That will happen when Jesus Christ returns. He is recognized as their Messiah. They will look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, according to Zechariah chapter 12. And then they will be saved. National Israel will be saved and Jesus will uh, usher in his reign and his rule from Jerusalem over the whole earth. The messianic reign of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read 70 weeks, the word weeks is actually in the Hebrew. It's an interesting word. It's the word shabuim. Shabua would be week. Shabuim would be plural. The I am at the end, as you know, like uh, cherubim, Elohim, Nephilim, and so forth. It's plural. So when he says there's going to be 70 weeks, 70 shabuim are determined, that word weeks can be translated sevens. God has patterns of sevens throughout the Bible, as you know. Created seven days, six days he worked, the seventh day he rested. They were to work the land six years, and in the seventh year they were to give it a rest. They had the year of Jubilee every 49 years, the 50th year. The slaves were set free, all the debts were forgiven. Seven, 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 seven. God has patterns of sevens throughout the Bible. So when he says 70 weeks, it's actually 70 sevens are determined for your people in your holy city. These are not 70 weeks of days. These are 70 weeks of years. So there's 70 sevens of years that are going to be completed, or 490 years, 70 times 7, 490 years. And you say, well, can you, can you prove that from the Scriptures? Yeah, we can. In Genesis chapter 29, when you have the story of Jacob, who is being tricked by Laban, and he's working for Laban's uh, daughter, Rachel. And then he gets deceived and, and he works uh, for, for Jacob to, to win uh, his daughter, Rachel. And then he gives Jacob Leah instead. And then he says, if you work for me another seven years, I'll give you my other daughter, uh, Rachel. So he tricked him. Uh, but Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. Let me read this to you. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the palace and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Remember, he served, her, served Laban for seven years to basically uh, buy, as it were, his daughter to marry her. Was it not for Rachel I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Notice this. Fulfill 
her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you serve me, serve with me still another seven years. It's a week of seven years. Fulfill her week, verse 27, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. It's a week, a Shabuah, a week of seven years. So the Jews are familiar with this passage. It's kind of weird for us to think of a week of seven years. We think of a week of seven days. But to the Jews, a week of seven years was a very normal thing. As a matter of fact, that's what's recorded for us here. It was a week of seven years that Jacob worked. Then he had to work another week, another seven years for Jacob's other daughter. So this is not an obscure uh, translation of this word shabuim uh, in Daniel chapter 9. Actually, this is the more literal translation. Uh, a, a, a week of years rather than a week of days is the proper and correct translation of Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. It's a week of years. So you're talking 70 sevens, 490 years, Daniel 9 24, are determined. All these things are going to happen at the end of the 70 uh, weeks or the 490 years. Your, your people, your holy city, so it's to the Jews, it's to Jerusalem to finish tran the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from going forth, the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, Mashiach, the prince, there shall be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 weeks or 62 sevens. So you have 69 sevens until Messiah, the prince, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks or 62 sevens, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Now we're, giving, we're given the starting point of this 490-year of this prophecy. It's very specific. God is saying there's going to be a decree that's given. The angel Gabriel telling the prophet Daniel. There's going to be a decree that's given from the king of um, the Medo-Persians, a command, a command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that's what starts the stopwatch. That's the event that starts this prophecy. Daniel received this prophecy in about 545 or 540 years before Christ, scholars tell us. This did not happen for almost another 100 years, roughly 95 years. There was a decree that was given. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2. In 445 B.C., the king Artaxerxes, the Medo-Persian king, remember the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, the Medo-Persian king told Nehemiah, gave him a decree, the cupbearer, that they could go and he would help them finance the way and support them in rebuilding the city and the sanctuary. 
or, or rebuilding, uh, rather, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. The sanctuary was started to rebuild before this with Ezra. But he says to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, when this command is given. So in 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2, King Artaxerxes give the, gives the command as the sovereign ruler over that land. Go and rebuild your city. Go and rebuild the city uh, of Jerusalem. Restore it and rebuild it. Rebuild it. So the stopwatch started then in 445 B.C. And some scholars actually try and pinpoint the date, but I don't do that because, you know, there, it's, it's hard for us to know exactly with the, the change of the 360-day calendar to the 365 and a quarter day uh, from the lunar calendar to the solar calendar. You, you, you have a time difference there, but it is, it is around that time, 444 to 445 BC, that this prophecy begins. And then we know that there are 69 sevens or 483 years until what? From the time the decree is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince is in Jerusalem. 483 years. Now the interesting thing is, if you take a calculator and you take 483 years, 69 sevens, times 360 days for the lunar calendar, the Babylonian calendar, the ancient calendar was a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar, uh, and you multiply 483 times 360 days, you have exactly 173,880 days until the Messiah should have been in person in Jerusalem presenting himself as king over Israel and over Judah. And it's interesting that if you look at when Jesus rode in on the donkey, some scholars say it's actually April 6th, 32 AD, that Jesus rode in on a donkey. It is exactly 173,880 days from the day that the decree was given by this pagan king to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's exactly the time when Jesus presented himself as their king, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And, and this is so accurate, guys. You just, you just can't believe it. It blows your mind. And believe me, I've studied and studied and studied this. This is absolutely true. This is exactly what happened. 483 years, and I think even to the day, Jesus Christ rode in on the donkey to present himself as the Messiah for Israel. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, I'll read Luke's account of this. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works what they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the very rocks will immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. They missed the prophecy. They didn't understand 
Otherwise, they would have known this is the Messiah according to the prophecy of the prophet Daniel in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. It's been exactly 483 years since Artaxerxes gave the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in 445 B.C. And here it is, 32 A.D., this man who everybody's worshiping as the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the messianic blessing. According to Psalms 118, the Messiah was coming. They laid down their coats on the ground. They put the palm branches. This is when Jesus finally uh, presented himself to the nation as their Messiah. Remember before he told them, don't tell me. Don't tell anybody about, about me. Don't tell anyone that I healed you. Don't tell anyone uh, that I gave sight to the blind. Jesus did not want to present himself. They tried to make him a king. He said, it's not yet my time. His day had not yet come because there was a day that had been predicted 483 years earlier that Jesus had to come and fulfill on that exact day, which he did. And he presented himself, and amazingly, Daniel knew that they would not accept him. They would reject their Messiah, although he came exactly as he was predicted to come. Again, you go back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He's going to be killed. He's going to come. He's going to present himself. He wants to bring in and usher in this blessing, this blessing that's coming. Verse 24, all of these blessings. And they rejected him, and that was predicted by their own prophet, that he would be rejected by the nation. The Messiah, the prince, is going to come and he will be cut off or he will be killed or he will be struck down, but not for himself. It wasn't for his own sins. It was for the sins of the world. Interesting. Now you have this parenthetical period of time or like a parenthesis because it was a mystery to the Old Testament saints. The church was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets and saints. And yet God says here, because Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, that's the rebuilt temple. The end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And so, once Jesus Christ is rejected, he's killed. The people of the prince who is to come are the Romans. The Romans are the ones who came and who destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So 483 years of a 490-year prophecy were fulfilled. It's like God hit the stopwatch and hit pause for the church age. He's going to restart the clock later when the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, this is why we know that the Antichrist is going to come from the revived Roman Empire. I don't have a lot of time to get into this now. So why don't we stop here and we'll pick up here next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the incredible promises Lord, that we could stand upon. Thank you that your word is true, that you tell us the future in advance. Truly, the Bible is a supernatural book. We thank you so much, Jesus, for uh, bringing in righteousness into our lives, Lord. Bringing the atonement for sin and the end of iniquity, Lord. And that you are filling us with your spirit, Lord. And, and, and filling the temple of your people with your Holy Spirit now, in this age, Lord, and thank you that you still have promises and prophecies and covenants that you are going to fulfill very soon for your people 
Israel, and that one day all Israel will be saved. Bless us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord, in these last days. Father, it is getting so difficult. Lord, this world is such a mess. We pray even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for your church. Take your bride to heaven, Lord, and pour out your wrath upon this Christ-rejecting world. God, how we need you now more than ever. Strengthen your people. Bless your people. Father, use us in a mighty way to reach many who are lost in these last days. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.